Good morning, church. Would you stand to your feet? Welcome to church this morning. Our stage looks beautiful thanks to our design team. Give them a round of applause. We're going to praise our God together. Sing this with me. In the bleak midwinter, all creation grows. Full the world in darkness, frozen like a stone. A light is Good morning, GBC family. 
Happy Thanksgiving, a little bit late, but we're so glad you're here today. My name is Jason, I'm on the pastoral staff, and we just wanted to welcome you here to Groton Bible Chapel for the first Sunday of Advent. How about that, huh? Better start shopping if you are in heaven already. Hey, um, if you're new here, uh, we have a welcome center right outside those doors. You can stop, actually, it's outside these doors. You can stop and you can check in with us. Uh, leave your name on a connect card and we'll uh, get back to you. And we also have our Christmas share program going on right now. So if you want to nominate a family or buy gifts for a family in need, uh, that is going on right in the back here with uh, Mike and Jen Buckley. So we'd be happy to see you back there. Uh, please stand and we'll continue worshiping together. Thank you.
morning, we are Danea and Juliet Parker, and this morning we are lighting the candle of hope. I'll be reading from Psalm 42, 1 through 11. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while men say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as, a, as I pour out my soul. How I used to go with the multitude, leading the procession to the house of God. With shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the festive throng, why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me, therefore I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mizar, deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day the Lord directs his love, at night his soul is with me. A prayer to the God of my life, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why, I, why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Jeremiah 33, 14 through 16. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the gracious promise I made to the house of Israel and to the house of Judah. In those days and at the time, I will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line. He will do what is just and right in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. This is the name by which it was called, the Lord our righteousness. Habakkuk 2, 3. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. Second, Second Peter 3, 8 through 9. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow, keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Matthew 1, 17 through 25. It, there, we're gonna ask everyone to read it with us. Yeah, if you guys wanna read with us. There were 14 generations in all, all from, from Abraham, Abraham to David, 14, 14 from, from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to the public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him said, Joseph, son of God, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you will give to him the name Jesus, 
because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave them the name Jesus. Father, thank you that Jesus came at the right time, bringing hope to the hopeless. May you be glorified as we worship you and learn from your word this morning. Amen. Thank you both for reading this morning. It is good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. Amen. It is good to have the rest of the houses of the Lord gathered with us this morning. Those of you joining online, let's give thanks that we can all be here together in one manner or another. What a great time of worship we've had already this morning and so looking forward to our associate pastor, Zach Stevens, who will be bringing the Word of God this morning in our first Advent sermon. And uh, this morning I come to you uh, not only as your senior pastor, but also on behalf of our elder team, and I uh, want to share with you. Uh, since our last update uh, to the congregation just a couple of weeks ago, we have measured some significant changes in the COVID-19 landscape in the greater Groton area. And we've considered three things that we want to share with you this morning. First, as we've looked at the numbers, particularly of hospitalizations and deaths, those being consistent with what we've been paying attention to throughout this entire pandemic. While New London County continues to be one of the more safe regions of, uh, of our state, in fact, hospitalizations are on the rise at a concerning rate both at Bacchus Hospital and Lawrence Memorial Hospital. Secondly, I personally, as well as a couple of our elder team, have had uh, lengthy conversations with physicians and nurses in our area who are working directly in the hospitals and care facilities uh, caring for COVID-19 patients. And what has been clear in these conversations, some over text and some uh, on the phone, is that there's great concern and even stress, albeit as one doctor said to me, not the same panic of this past spring, but certainly stress uh, and a general consensus and concern that things are gonna get far worse in our area in the month of December. Thirdly, as a regional church, we the elders feel very strongly that we need to consider our witness to a watching world. And for these reasons, we've decided that it is best for us to wear masks throughout our services for the four Sundays of December. So that's beginning next week, the four Sundays of December. We think that this is a small sacrifice that we can make for the sake of others to wear a mask for an hour plus. Now, this is perhaps especially true in view of all the travel that's occurred in and out of our community this past week and will over the coming three or four weeks. So we'd also strongly suggest that you wear masks in your meetings, groups, Bible studies, as we will begin to do as well uh, in our staff meetings and even as elders. Uh, as a matter of fact, our staff meetings will be mo moving to virtual for those, those four weeks uh, of December. 
Now, for moms and dads who have kids who've been coming into the sanctuary, we're asking that for your fifth graders and down, uh, that you have your kids wear masks as much as is sensible and possible. We recognize there's challenge there, uh, and we leave that judgment up to you. We're not going to police that. We trust you as moms and dads to make those decisions and to know your own kids and so forth. Now, I know for some of you, this is so hard. You know, this is the one place you've been able to come indoors and take your masks off. And I know for others of you, there's tremendous relief at the announcement of this decision. Again, I want to remind you that making decisions for a thousand plus people uh, with all of our different perspectives is at a minimum a challenge. And so I would ask you for grace and for patience, especially over this next month. There will come a time when we'll be sitting up here, and I hope I get the privilege of telling you all the things we're going to undo and the restrictions we're going to roll back. But let's remember once again our role in the community, to proclaim Christ, to disciple the body of believers, and to bear witness through being a different kind of community, a different kind of gathering. We are to be like Jesus, who in Philippians 2, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. In other words, Jesus laid aside what was well within his rights in order to die for me and for you. So too as Christians. We ought to be less concerned about our comforts, our wants, and even our rights, and more concerned about that of the other. This is who we are as a church. We enfold, we equip, we encourage. So allow me at this time uh, to lead us in prayer this morning. Lord God, on on the one hand, we come here with great joy, uh, even this Sunday being the Sunday of hope, that you are the hope of all the world. And God, that we come and we sing to you, praise forever to the King of Kings. We extol you. We magnify your name. Lord, the amazing nature of your perfect plan that you came not as a king riding on a stallion, but as an infant, lowly and humbly born. Lord, you are the hope of the world, not just in this season of pandemic and other stresses, Lord, but for all eternity. And so, Lord, it is our privilege to gather in this time to worship both those gathered at home in other places, perhaps even on the road traveling this Thanksgiving weekend, and also those gathered in this facility. Lord, we think of the larger body of Christ around the country and around the globe, also gathering to all to worship your name. Thank you, Lord, that nothing will hinder, ultimately, the gathering and worshiping of your people. Lord, we do, we ask you for great wisdom in and out of our groups and in this season, in our neighborhoods, in this morning, in this context, in our Sunday school classes, and as we hear your word this morning. Lord, aside from practical wisdom, would you open our hearts to hear your word, to receive from your hand that there would be no distraction either in our own sinfulness within or the circumstances of our world without, to hearing from your Holy Spirit, from the word of God this morning as Zach brings it to us. Would you give him uh, just confidence and energy to share with us from his heart, what you have laid on his heart from your word this morning? Lord, we are excited for the opportunity to receive from you. Lord, we desire that this time would ultimately glorify you. We pray all these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. All right, this time, if you are at home, if you're in this room, if you just sort of smile and wave, send that text. Send the text to maybe somebody you haven't seen in a while and uh, greet each other in that manner.
All right, we're back. We're back. Welcome to Advent. My name is Zach. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, we are beginning a series called Just Right. And if you are an engineer, I hope you can appreciate the backdrop. Okay? We got some lines on there. We got some arrows. We got, just, just so you know, looking at the, the precision and the purpose of God and the sending of Jesus. And we're going to be focused in on two verses over the next four weeks. So I'm going to go ahead and read those two verses in their fullness. We are in the, uh, the book of Galatians, and we will be in Galatians 3 a little bit later. We're going to be in Galatians 4 right now. So if you have a Bible and you want to turn to Galatians, you can go ahead and do that. But I'm going to go ahead and read our two verses. Galatians 4.4. 4. It says, When the time came to completion, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. I'm, I'm going to read this again. Read it one more time. When the time came to completion, that's my chunk for the day. We're going to do a whole sermon on just those, what was it, six, seven words? When the time came to completion, and then after that, God sent his son, and that's kind of for everybody, born of a woman. Dave Humiston's going to get those four words next week, and then born under the law, Andy's going to be taking on that, and then Gary's going to round us off with to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Can you think of a moment in time that was profoundly influential in your life or perhaps a game changer of sorts? A moment where you can look back on the snapshot, you can look back on the event, you can look back at that week or that month or whatever it is and perhaps there's a photo or a video that represents and you would celebrate that moment for what it is but then also looking back on it, remember things were never the same after the fact. Some of you might remember coming home from the very last deployment in your career, how that felt. What it, what it was like to hold your very first child in your hands and all the sleeplessness that would follow. That, that, that house that you bought, the, the, the acceptance letter that you received from college. We have these, these moments, sometimes we capture them in photos increasingly so. The older you are, the less photos you probably have, but increasingly so. And as we look back on these moments, again, we can celebrate it in time, but then also look at that moment from a before and after perspective with respect to the chapter that closed and the chapter that opened. And so today, as we get into the coming of Jesus, what I'm going to do as we look at the beginning of Galatians 4.4 4, is look at it from those two perspectives. One, I want to look at the moment when, when it says, when the fullness of time came, or when the time was completed in verse 4, when the time came to completion, God sent his son. And the question that comes to mind is, well, why now? Look at the moment for itself. 2,000 years ago, God sent his son. Well, why then? And then after that, the second question I want to answer today is what exactly is coming to an end? What chapter is Jesus coming closing so that another chapter can be opened? And so today is going to be a little bit of a prologue for what's going to be the next three weeks because I have the time coming to an end and then Gary and the other guys are going to get to talk about what comes next. But as we look at this prologue, those are really the two questions. Well, why now? And we're going to look at some history for that. History nerds, you'll like that. And then we're going to jump into scripture for part two to, to talk about what exactly is Jesus bringing to a close. Before I do that, I'm going to pray. 
God, thank you for the opportunity to gather, Lord, that we get to celebrate Advent together over the next four weeks. Lord, I pray as always that you would, you would bring clarity and humility, Lord, that, that you would soften hearts, that we would be challenged by, by what your word has to say, God. And so in all this, Lord, we, we ask that you would be praised. We, we, we hope that you would be glorified and that, Lord, that your honor would be magnified. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so the first question is the why now? You look specifically 2,000 years ago when Jesus came, and again, we're going to jump into a little bit of history because this is kind of a guess that historians and apologists have put out there over time, and we're going to run kind of quickly through this, but it just happens to be pretty interesting that Jesus came 2,000 years ago, and the gospel took off like wildfire. And in God's sovereignty, he could have, before the foundations of time, he could have set it up so that that the gospel came really at any given point. God is sovereign. God could have appointed, God could have, he could have brought it in a jungle, right? God could have brought it in the Arctic. God chose a particular people to use in a particular place. And 2,000 years ago, we saw that in the person of Jesus in the Middle East, that it happened at a particular time with particular timing. And it was just right. First, I want to introduce you to this guy named Alexander the Great. I believe we got a, we got a sculpture up here, right? He lived 356. The, all right. If you got a newer iPhone, this is the original portrait mode, right? Some of you get that. Some of you get that. Uh, this, is, this is Alexander the Great. At age 21, he took over an army, thousands, tens of thousands of people, and he started conquering East. I believe we got a photo of that. I don't know what you were doing when you were 21 years old, This is what Alexander the Great was doing. We got 21-year-olds in basements doing squat on video games all night. You got to pick yourself up, all right? But from age 21 to, I believe, 33, this is what he was up to. Now, you look at that. This is 300 years before Jesus. Why is this significant? Because as Alexander the Great moved east, this thing called Hellenization happened. And that's just a, 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 a fancy word that academics use for the spread of Greek culture, theater, art, the grid. For those of you who go into a town and, and it's gridded out, they help spread the grid. You can thank them for that. But the, the most important thing that spread was this thing called Koine Greek. And that word Koine means common. Because as Alexander spread and as he continued to conquer the language spread as well. Now you might be thinking as an American, they're gonna come in here and change the language that I speak. No, that's not how it works in most of the world. You just add another language to what you already speak. I've traveled enough, I've heard this joke a few times. What do you call someone who speaks three languages? You call them trilingual, right? What do you call someone who speaks two languages? You call them bilingual. What do you call someone who speaks one language? An American. And so what we had is Koine Greek grow in popularity and become the regional language. And it just so happens that the New Testament was written in Koine Greek. So that as a mass, as a mass publicity a movement, it was able to spread throughout. All of that foundation was laid. The second thing in history I want to point out is this thing called the Pax Romana. This means Roman peace. Now, after Alexander the Great came in, he ended up passing away. His four generals split up the empire. And eventually, Rome came in hundreds of years later, and they established this thing called the Roman peace. 
with the Roman peace, obviously a lot of armies, a lot of fighting, a lot of oppression, it, it took in order to get there, but with Roman peace, there was a free exchange of goods and trade. What they did is they built roads. In fact, they built 75,000 miles worth of roads. We got a map up here. This is a couple hundred years after Jesus, but it gives you an idea. The army of Rome was far too small in order to guard the entire empire, so they build roads so that they could move faster and faster and faster. And so Rome, as it grew, and again, the Greek language also spread as well, but you had these two things come together, and this was established 30 years before the birth of Jesus, the Pax Romana. And so Jesus comes, a hundred years after the Pax Romana is established, you have authors writing about the life of Jesus and it gets to spread what? Via Koine Greek, which is the lingua franca that everyone speaks and on these established roads all throughout the empire. You ask about the timing, when the fullness of time had come, you ask why now, how interesting that all of those things came together. Now, if you're a skeptic, we got some skeptics, I'm sure. Maybe someone dragged you here and you hear that and you're like, well, duh, that's the reason. That's the reason Christianity spread. That's the reason why it went out so fast is because Jesus happened to be born in this place and he happened to be born into this particular culture and he happened to be born into this network of roads so that such and such could spread the way that it did. But to, to, to say that ignores the substance of who Jesus is. It ignores the substance of the gospel. It ignores the substance of what he taught. It ignores the substance of his death and resurrection. Napoleon, the famous Napoleon, writes this. He says, Alexander, I'm sorry, he didn't write this. This is attributed to him by someone who knew him. Alexander, Caesar, Charlemagne, and myself founded empires. But on what did we rest the creation of our genius? Upon sheer force. Jesus Christ alone founded his empire upon love. And at this hour, millions of men will die for him. Is that substance? And so, when we ask the question, well, why now? You think about timing of when Jesus came. You could go in a thousand different directions, but historically in God's sovereignty, he happened to appoint this time in history and space that the gospel would take off. Not by sheer force, but by people who were passionate, who had encountered the life transforming change of Jesus Christ. Now, moving on, when we look at this small phrase, when the time came to completion, when the time came to completion, the question you ask is, what came to completion? If, if the chapter closing is something coming to completion so that Jesus opens a new chapter, what in the world is coming to completion? What is the author, what is Paul saying to the church in Galatia? Well, let me set the scene a little bit for us. The church in Galatia, a lot of Gentiles, people who were not Jewish, and some people called agitators came into the church and they were trying to infiltrate with false teaching this legalistic idea that in order to be a part of God's family, you had to become a part of the Jewish family first. And all throughout the letter to Galatia, Paul attacks this idea that in order to be a part of God's family, you gotta be circumcised. In order to become a part of God's family, you gotta observe these special holidays. In order to become a part of God's family, you have to observe these eating rituals. And so Paul, in, in, the, in the letter to Galatia, comes against that notion. And with that, I'm going to back up and I'm going to read Galatians 23 to 26. 
Because what Paul was trying to argue here, and what we'll see the chapter that is closing, is the use of the law for God's people as Jesus comes to initiate something else. 23. What is the role of the law, and why is it coming to a close? Verse 23, before this faith came, we were confirmed under the law, imprisoned until coming faith was revealed. The law then was our guardian until Christ, so that we could be justified by faith. But since that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For through faith, you are all sons of God in Jesus Christ. Again, asking the question, what is coming to an end? Paul is trying to explain here that the law was given, the law was provided by God for a time, for a certain purpose. And he uses this word in verse 24. He says, the law then was our guardian until Christ, so that we could be justified by faith. Now, the law was important. The law was significant. In fact, a lot of the Bible is dedicated to people understanding the law. But I ask you this question, why was the law given? And why was it coming to a close? We read here that the law was a guardian. Now, this word is a Greek word called paedagogos. And a paedagogos in a household of means had a very special purpose. If you were a household of means in Greco-Roman culture, you had a child, you handed that child off to the wet nurse. And the wet nurse took the child till about age five or six. And around five or six, that child went from the wet nurse to the paedagogos. And the paedagogos' job was to raise up the child, to care for them, to protect them, and to instruct them, which is why that word is translated a ton of different ways in different Bibles, instructor, schoolmaster, disciplinarian. And Paul is using this image of a paedagogos for the law. Now, the paedagogos were also known for being harsh disciplinarians, using corporal punishment, physical abuse, they were harsh. And so you get this, this picture of the law acting for God's people as a means of protecting them, but also instructing them in a, in, in a harsh way. And you think about it, the law does protect, doesn't it? You read through Leviticus, if you ever get that far in your Bible reading plan, we'll be starting that over soon. But you read through Leviticus and you see laws that help people be more hygienic, laws that lend towards justice and mercy, laws that care for the poor, the widow, the orphan. It's protective. Even in our society today, some of you don't do certain things precisely because it's against the law. Hopefully that works. It protects, it insulates from our sin and selfishness. Some of you follow rules just because of rules. Now my... My, I won't say which child, some of you will be able to guess this. My wife actually, a couple weeks ago, she, she, she ran a red light, I'll say by accident, and one of, one of my children, I got permission before sharing this, by the way, and, then, and so they get home, and one of my children draws a picture of her running the red light and says, can we text this to Mr. Eric, who is a friend of ours who's a police officer? <laughs> Rule followers, all right? We had to explain that uh, uh, snitches get stitches, right? Um, just kidding, just kidding. That's not how it works in our house. That's not how it works. But the law is a protective measure. The law also provides instruction. You can see aspects of God's character, his mercy. You see aspects of who his holiness in the law. And it also instructs people on how to live. And yet, when the fullness of time had come, when the, when the time had been completed in Christ, we see 
that those things are fulfilled. We see that the law as a guardian for a, 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 a child growing up, when they come of age in faith, the guardian is no longer necessary because in Christ, in Christ, we no longer have the law weighing down on our backs that we would have to carry that as a burden. Instead, God writes the law on our hearts as our affections are toward, charged in his direction. The law offers an instruction but in Christ, we get an instruction that again, taps at our heart, but then also we get a revelation of who God is in far fuller form than we did in the law. When the time was completed, Christ closed the chapter and he opened, the birth of Christ opened a new one. But there's one other function of the law, not just as a protector, not just as an instructor, there's one big one. And for that, we turn to Romans 5.19. It says, For just as through one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so also through one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. And then here it comes, verse 20. The law came along to multiply the trespass. Now it's not trespasses, it's singular on purpose. This idea, some of your Bibles say increase or magnify this is the idea that, that your, your sins and your disobedience and your trespasses are being brought to light and they are being magnified. They're, the spotlight is being put on them. But where sin multiplied, grace multiplied even more. Some of your Bibles say grace abounded. I'm going to stop there. Why was the law there? And what was the significance of that chapter closing for another one to end? The law was there. God gave the people the law because it showed them how desperate their need for a savior actually was. If you had a son who wanted to be a professional football player, but he weighed in at a buck 10, 5'3", he wanted to be a linebacker, he had some issues. How do you make it really, really clear? Well, let me put a 400-pound uh, barbell in front of you to deadlift and see, see where that goes. That as you, as you go down and as you try to pick it up, not moving an inch, you realize how weak you are when confronted with the weight. Some of us have the issue in our life where we think we're good enough because we compare ourselves to everyone around us. We're like, ah, I'm not as bad as that guy, right? I don't swear as much as him. And the, the law puts that standard in place that we wouldn't compare ourselves to others, but instead against God. And to the person who thinks everything's fine, I have this picture back when I was a teenager when the, the acne breakouts, right, were happening. You try to cover it up and you, you, you buy all the special stuff and, and you have those sick people and some of you are in this room who a regular mirror isn't enough. You gotta get the magnifying mirror. Y'all know what I'm saying. And you, you, you look in the mirror or from a distance and everything's fine. And then you get the magnifying mirror up. And all of a sudden, all the little blemishes start to show. Because you're really up close. The law to the person who says everything's fine is that mirror that says, wow, no, you got some issues up close. The problem, my friends, is that a lot of people stop here. 
God gave the law, Romans 19, God gave the law that sin would multiply, that sin would be magnified in your life. And the law makes it very clear that you and me aren't enough. That in as much effort you put in, it is not enough. As much as you try to love your kids and love your wife and love your roommate, it's not enough. As much as you try to be humble and you try to serve and you try to give stuff away and you try to give away your time and you really try not to swear, maybe, maybe, maybe it comes out when, when your football team loses, but you do your best, right? That is not enough. But the significance of the time coming to completion and God sending his son to open the next chapter is that Jesus comes in and says, I'm enough. That the law was given as a standard to protect us from our sinfulness and it couldn't do it all the way. It was given as a standard to instruct us about God, but there was a lot it just couldn't teach. And it was given to show us just how desperately in need of a redeemer we are. So that when that redeemer came, we could see, wow, I'm not enough, but he is. That I can't carry my guilt, but he could on the cross. That I couldn't wear the, the weight of my shame, but he could on the cross. That in order for me to not have to face death, that he would do it on my behalf. That by entrusting myself to him, I would share in the life that I don't deserve. It says here again, when the time came to completion, God sent his son and in his sovereignty, the time that came to completion and that Paul was driving home is you don't gotta be a part of the Jewish family to be a part of God's family. You don't gotta fall under the law to be a part of God's family. What unites people in God's family is trust in the Jesus who came and is more than enough close with this. G.W. Hansen writes, New Testament scholar, when God sent his son, the former period of universal slavery ended and a new era of freedom was inaugurated. It's not just freedom from sin, it's freedom to, as Gary mentioned last week, love. Freedom to be gracious. Freedom to have a transformed life. Freedom to have a transformed relationships. Freedom to find satisfaction in all that God provides amongst the world that constantly overpromises and underdelivers instead of having a God that never does. As we continue in Advent Church, we're gonna move on and we're gonna see the life of Jesus and, and after, as the prologue closes out and as he is born under a woman, what that means, as he's born under the law, what that means, as he, is, as he leads to the adoption of us as sons and daughters, we're gonna move in that direction. But, but what I wanna ask you today is would you please stop living in the last chapter? There are people here who are so afraid to come to the church because of the legalism of the church. You got to look a certain way before you can come in here. You got to celebrate a certain way before you can come in here. Now, don't get me wrong. It's okay to not be okay. It's not okay to want to stay there. But people here who come in and for whatever reason of their baggage, their faults and their failures, they think they are disqualified from God. We want you to know that as a church, we are full of people who are messed up, who got issues. You are welcome here. If anyone ever found a perfect church, they would make it messed up merely by joining it. 
That's Spurgeon, not me. And so hear me, church. Let us not live in that last chapter because God has sent his son. You don't gotta be a part of any particular family to be a part of God's family. That is done by faith. Bow your heads, let's pray. God, I thank you for the opportunity to think about the coming of Jesus, Lord. Lord, I pray that as a church, God, that we would entrust ourselves to you, that we would submit ourselves to you, that as we think about the law and what it reveals in our own lives, Lord, that we would sense our need for you, that we wouldn't take it lightly, that we wouldn't take it for granted. Lord, we thank you, we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. A couple of things, church, a couple of things. On the way out, uh, reminder, you guys can uh, grab a Christmas share, stop by the table, you can ask questions. This upcoming Saturday, this upcoming Saturday is our coffee and questions for the month of December. So you can sign up, just write coffee and questions on a connect card or go online, click I'm new, sign up for coffee and questions. You can hang out with me, Gary and Jason, learn more about the church. We would love the chance to connect with you this Saturday morning. And uh, as always, church, you are not dismissed. You are sent. Have a good week. We'll see you next time.